The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Christmas, everybody. Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series lasted only one season or less, and occasionally we do something really stupid. Hey, uh, welcome to the dumbest idea we've ever had. Um, <laughs> we appreciate you joining us, and uh, it's very important that you sync up this commentary track that we've decided to do. But, yeah, we've had uh, a lot of requests for commentary tracks. We ever do a commentary track for this pilot episode or this TV show, and we've done commentary tracks on other podcasts that we've done, but we've never done one for Cancel Too Soon, and we wanted to wait for the right thing, the right idea. And we found it. Yeah. <laughs> By we, gum. We wanted to do a special Christmas episode of the show, and we had a couple of ideas, and they all fell through to the technical problems or whatever. Mm. And then we had the brilliant idea to do a commentary track for a video fireplace. Uh, specifically, mm. the Netflix available video fireplace called Fireplace for Your Home, colon, Birchwood Edition. A.K.A. Fireplace 4K, Crackling Birchwood. <laughs> now, if you have a Netflix subscription, I, I don't know if it's available in every territory, but in America, you can watch this fireplace and just put it on your TV, and it's crackling, and now it's we, nice. And we haven't started yet, because we want to make sure it's synced up. No, we have to make sure it's synced up perfectly, so mm. we're going to give you a 3, 2, 1 counter. We're all going to press play. <laughs> we, have, we have started started the video on our Netflix. Uh, it is at 01 seconds, and you can just see Birchwood Fireplace. And if you have your subtitles on, you can see that the subtitle says, Peaceful Orchestral Music. Now you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to say three, two, one, and then we're just going to talk about this rather potent fireplace that that actually has a very rich history. We, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the history of the video fireplace. Very little bit. Okay, let's. And listen, if you're if you're not if you don't have the fireplace on, we're we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about Christmas and stuff. It's just gonna be a fun little hangout. So, um, everybody, get ready. Put on Netflix. Oh, one seconds. Pause it. And we're all gonna press play in three, two, one. Now, Birchwood fireplace. Fireplace for your home. Now, uh, we're about to see if this is uh, uh, it, <laughs> created by George Ford. Yeah, he created the fireplace. Uh, I thought that was Prometheus, but okay. Yeah. Um, no, I love this fireplace, by the way. I just want to say this uh, right now. It starts small. There's actually just like so, one somebody, tiny flame on Someone actually bothered to fire, you know, fire up some kindling. Now, like I said, there is a history to the video fireplace. Now, I, I remember seeing things like video fireplaces and uh, video aquariums were also really big at um, my local video rental stores back in the VHS days. Mm. And I thought that was the, the origin of it, but it turns out it goes all the way back to the 1960s. Um, some enterprising television producer thought that in New York, there weren't a lot of people who had like hearths or actual fireplaces in their homes that live in these little cramped apartments in New York. So he decided, why don't we broadcast four straight hours of a fireplace? And you know, it was inspired by a, a TV commercial where it was just a, a single shot of Santa sitting in a fire. He's like, well, we'll just have a fire. So he filmed, filmed a fireplace at the mayor's house. And on Christmas Eve, they preempted all advertising. I think they lost, like, thousands of dollars. <laughs> so they could broadcast this fireplace on Christmas Eve, and there was, like, really gentle Christmas music in the background. Ooh, that fire's really going. Look at it. Yeah, yeah it really, just, uh, really just sparked. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it was such a hit that they decided to bring it back year after year. And they rebroadcast it, I think, for 23 consecutive years. Now... The original clip that they filmed at the mayor's house was shot on 16mm film, and it was 17 seconds long, repeated over and over no. again. <laughs> I mean, it's a fire, how can you tell? Now, the one we're, 17 we're, seconds is still pretty cheap. The one we're watching is clearly, like, live 
fire. They're mm-hmm. you know, thanks to digital technology, we can probably have four straight hours of an actual fire. Well, in this video, it is actually only one hour long, but there mm-hmm. you're going to get versions of this that are twelve hours long, yeah. and people have gotten really really clever with it. Like the best one I ever saw, the best video fireplace <laughs> I ever saw, and I've seen my fair share mm-hmm. was was a video. It was a fireplace, but it was also in the front of the fireplace. Kittens and puppies. Oh well, just hanging out, playing. That, that's I don't know. That's too much. No, it was perfect. <laughs> that's too too it's too much. Everything you need. Too much excitement. I, uh, I will say this: who, the creator of the video fireplace, what, uh, the story you just told. Mm-hmm. That's some brilliant Marshall McLuhan type shit. <laughs> that is just like that is like we think of the television mm-hmm. as just this thing that shows yeah, shows. Let me the look idea up his name. His name, uh, his name is Fred M. Thrower. Take that, George the in- Ford. The inventor of the video fireplace. And yeah. where's the Scott Alexander Lara Karaszewski scripted biopic of him? I would That's love to see I a Christmas see. special about the video fireplace. I think it's a mm-hmm. great idea. But the idea of the television as like transformed into another device yeah. just by what you show it. It's showing it like the idea of it as a kind of as a section of media study as, as a yeah. window that just all of a sudden your television is now your fireplace. Mm-hmm. It sounds so obvious now. Someone had to come up with that, yeah, and yeah, tell yeah. people that was a good idea, and it had never been done before. I would love to nothing else. I just want to be at the pitch meeting for that. <laughs> like I have a great idea. That's a mm-hmm. stupid idea. <laughs> people want <laughs> to see Lucy fall down. <laughs> well, but you know, on Christmas Eve and you know, it was only broadcast in New York. A lot of people didn't have these fireplaces and it was, I'm not sure if the people who watched it originally really were trying to think of it as now I have a fireplace, even if it's kind of a fake one. Well, it's certainly not. Or if, yeah. Or if there was some sort of like camp value to it, it's like, Oh, tee Now my tee. TV is a fireplace. But I think there's also. But it was popular enough that, you know, it, it did Gangbusters business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they wanted to bring it back the next year. And they did bring it back for a couple of years. But each time they broadcasted it, they had to rebroadcast the same 16 millimeter, yeah. 17 second loop. They could have filmed it for four fire. hours. And. You know, 16 millimeter film degrades pretty quickly, so it started to like skip and scratch they, after I'm, a while. I'm amazed they didn't at least get a couple of minutes of footage well, on 16 millimeter. Come on. The, the guy went back to the mayor and said, Can I film at your house again? He said, No, you can't film my fire again. This is insanity. <laughs> Can so at least they, do it for five minutes? They found, a, they found a really similar fireplace and they shot it on 35 millimeter film this time, which is a lot more durable. Yeah. And uh, they filmed this time for like a six minute loop. There you go. Much they better. still broadcast it for four straight hours but it was a six minute loop this time so it didn't look as fake but i don't know if people are gonna always see this ironically i mean like when you think about it the holidays mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whatever domin- denomination you are or if you don't have one at all but uh, they're they're typically uh celebrated through tradition yeah yeah through through not even nostalgia just the repeated behaviors and iconographies and music and food and um imagery uh-huh. that we think of going back to our childhood, but also connects us to versions of our family long past, our culture long past, cultures that are long gone. Um, it's history, living. Mm. And as we move away from old-fashioned creature comforts, um, having a reminder of those creature comforts is not only uh, highly marketable, yeah. <laughs> but also very reassuring. Well, uh, I think if you don't have a fireplace, all of a sudden, just hearing the noise well, of a fireplace con- is great. Consider this part of the the story of of this video broadcast of the the Yule log. Um, it went off the air, and there were various petitions to try to bring it back. Like people just liked having that tradition, and no TV station wanted to do it anymore. Not not even the local. It, it, and this was like in the late eighties, and. There was a hiatus for, I think, over a decade. And then on following the terrorist attacks on 9-11, New Yorkers wanted that comfort food again. Sure. And they, you know, this was already on the internet. People can, you can find plenty of these things, just amateurs on YouTube. But they wanted sort of the officially sanctioned Yule Log TV program to come back. So it was actually rebroadcast again and is now still, I think, running in New York uh, every year at Christmas time. Uh, I don't know if it's what station it's running on. I don't know how to look look it up. I think it's just a New York phenomenon. But if you live in New York, I think you can still find the, the Yule Log TV program. One of the things that I, I, I love, and I'm actually only just learning, really, about 
um, are the sort of local television Christmas traditions. Uh-huh. Um, now, I'm less, you know, I grew up in Pasadena, where we mm-hmm. have the Rose Parade, and that's a holiday tradition, but that's broadcast everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you just told a story about how the Yule Logs started off in New York City and only really expanded so far originally. Um, my wife, Michelle, has a holiday tradition where she, every year she watches uh, an animated short mm-hmm. called Hard Rock, Coco, and Joe, the Three Little Dwarfs, which was created by uh, Centaur Productions yeah. and aired on Chicago's WGN television in the mid-1950s. It is an animated short. You can watch it online very easily. It's on YouTube. It was... It's a... It's a... It's it's like a music video. It's a music video. It's a song. It's a Christmas song. It's not a very popular Christmas song nowadays, but it predates the short. And it is about Santa's three elves, Hard Rock, Coco, and Joe. (laughs) Um, And it's adorable, but it's actually uh, very interesting. It has an interesting history. It was... Animated in stop motion by an artist named Wa Ming Chang, who was a Chinese American animator who worked on Star Trek. I believe he actually designed the tricorder. <laughs> nice. Um, but he wanted, apparently, to my understanding, um, he wanted to help um, sort of. Uh, Create sympathy. He would create sympathy. Yeah. Like, you know, there was still, you know, it was a very racist time, and he wanted to uh, take the opportunity to make people more comfortable with Asian iconography and uh, uh, characters. And so the character of Santa Claus in Hard Rock, Coco and Joe, the Three Little Dwarves, is very Chinese. Mm. And um, to the extent that it's actually, like, kind of, like, striking. Yeah. When you watch it today, today it would be seen as something of a caricature. But at the time, this is a Chinese American trying to make Santa Claus multicultural yeah, yeah. in order to actually spread a really great message. I didn't know about this until just a couple of years ago. Now we do watch it every year, and it's fascinating. Um, <laughs> and it's a cute little short. Um, and I recommend checking that out if you think you've seen everything, because you mm. probably haven't. That's the lesson I've learned. Uh, from doing cancel too soon. Yeah, there there is still local TV, sure. uh, but thanks to sort of streaming and the movement away from uh, pr- just programmed time, program time television, uh, that's kind of a world that's going away. Um, like public access TV, tuning yeah. in in the middle of the night to find people who had no money to do these like sort of fly by night little talk shows that they just had an idea for. Yeah, just sitting uh, down on a couch, talk to local whoever's. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, you know that was a huge phenomenon when we were growing up. Sure, and it's yeah, it's pretty it's, much it's, dead it, now. It's, it's still kind of the foundation for a lot of Saturday Night Live sketches. It's yeah, like I, I'm wondering if people even understand what they're getting at on Saturday Night Live anymore. Like the satire has outlasted the thing it's satirizing. Yeah, I mean, I think they've they've moved away from it somewhat, but it's still mm. in there. Yeah, like, like l- late night New York talk shows were really a thing, and that's yeah. what they were making fun of. Like when you're watching Saturday Night Live, I think the joke was you're flipping through the stations, and the satire might n- be indistinguishable from something two stations over. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, they stuck with that model long after you know the public access stuff was done. Uh, I, I remember thumbing through the public access stations when I was in college and finding a friend of mine who had his own show that I didn't know about. Like Weird. one of my coworkers, like I just saw him there. This guy named Wayne was just sort of talking about his favorite records and talking to local musicians. So it was Wayne's stuff. World. More or less, it was, it was all rap <laughs> records, but yeah. It's yeah, still yeah. weird. <laughs> um, that's cool. And uh, so many great things came out of this local stuff, other than just the satires. It is where the horror hosts got their start. A lot of them, uh, yeah. A, a lot of late night... Uh, Sanguli. T- yeah, TV stations had to run all night, and they had, they had to get whatever they could to just fill the hours. So a lot of them optioned a lot of bad movies, and local stations had their own studios, and they decided to sort of spice up their late night movie programming with hosts. Uh, people who just sort of introduced the movie, and that's where sort of the horror host really got started um, on broadcast TV. And yeah, so we have Vampira, and there's, there's, you can look up a litany, a whole encyclopedia of these local horror hosts that lasted throughout the decades. And there are still some that do it out of sort of nostalgia's sake, mm-hmm. you know, like Count, but, Count Smokula, for instance. But yeah, there's, 
it's it's a tradition that has sadly gone away, and I wish it hadn't because it was just so potent and wonderful. Well, it was it was this direct connection, and I think mm-hmm. we're getting a lot of that back with YouTube. People talking to the camera, yeah, developing yeah. it. You know, they're just shooting it out of their house. We don't still need to go to a TV station for it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it does exist. It's just not localized. It's not part of a, a community mm-hmm. that's like nearby that you could walk over, yeah, like in the yeah. middle of the program and knock on their door and said, "I want to be on your horror show," and you could. <laughs> Dad, Zach or Lee, what are you doing? Like, I have so many puns. <laughs> Please, I need to do something with them. Should we tell them about the uh, uh, time we actually tried to put together a horror hosting show? Oh, sure. Okay, so one well, of the many <laughs> silly okay. ideas we've had. There was a, a, a pretty glorious seven-month period. Well, maybe not so glorious. Inglorious seven-month period when I was working for Nerdist. I was their regular film critic because their regular guy was out, mm-hmm. <laughs> like on some extended sabbatical. He was finishing a book. I said, sure, you can come in and be our critic. And I was terrifically unpopular <laughs> over at Nerdist. You had opinions. Because uh, I, I had actual opinions and I was kind of negative and they didn't like that. The mm-hmm. readers of Nerdist did not like that. Well, there's there's a, there's and kind the, of a movement towards you know, emphasizing positivity right now in critical discourse, mm-hmm. and I can appreciate that. But sometimes you actually do need to be critical. No, and you know if if you're under assignment and you're seeing all the films, you're probably only going to like about half of them. Mm-hmm. And I I really bristle at this notion that critics have to be positive all the time or look for the good. It's like no. We are critics. We have the right. We're human beings. We have the right to be negative. It's okay to feel bad about these things, and it's okay to slag on them. We're, well, um, slag, but, like, mm. they need to really deserve it if we're going to slag mm. on them. But, like, regardless, like... Yeah, but if they deserve it, I'm going to slag on them. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to t- put an honest the kid, reaction. kid gloves on just it's, because I feel the need to be positive. It's an honest reaction. I think the issue isn't... The issue shouldn't be... Mm. Um, you can't be negative. I think the issue should be... If you must be negative, fine. Then move on. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. linger and keep talking about it for forever and just keep everything being really <laughs> negative all the time. Just you said your piece, and then we we'll talk about stuff we like now. Can we yeah. talk about? Can we focus on that? And that's fine. But anyway, at at Nerdist, I was constantly pitching ideas, most of which were shot down entirely. Sure. And uh, I I decided to pitch for Nerdist a a, a video program where uh, I was to emulate a, a horror host show. And the, the title was going to be the, the Fiendish Dr. Zoltan's Ghastly Crypt of Unspeakable Horrors. And uh, I was to play the Fiendish Dr. Zoltan, kind of like as a John Zachary type, a mad scientist with mm-hmm. cool makeup. Dr. Clayton and, Forrester. Uh, just know, a, a, a Frankenstein knockoff. And uh, you were to play Cinnamon, uh, which was kind of my, my Tor Johnson-esque uh, sidekick, who was just going to grunt. They wear nothing but pants and a vest. Pa- pants and a leather one. vest was the plan. <laughs> it was your plan. <laughs> just so we're clear. This, this is how I pitched it. I was supportive, but skeptical. Yeah, you, you were on board. You said you were going to do it. I, I was at a different place in my life. You agreed That's to do say. this. Okay. That's all. It, it never came through, but you agreed to glad. do it. Um, I had I had a the- I commissioned a theme song for it. It was know, a cool theme song by, by uh, Andy Hens, who uh, did the theme song to Cancel Too Soon. So, yeah, he did a so. really cool theme song to Doctor Zoltan. Like yeah. that was that was like some serious like Mars Attacks <laughs> kind of epic really theremin type stuff. I, I just that said you know cool. go, go listen to Mar- listen to Tales from the Crypt and run with that. And he he produced a really terrific piece of it was music really cool, for yeah. it. Um, I called a bunch of friends and got them to all agree. Uh, Mark Edward Hoyk. Uh, previously the movie geek on uh, Freaks and, or not Freaks and Geeks. Uh, the game beat, show Beat the Geeks. Beat the Geeks. Yeah. Um, was my manager at the movie theater where I worked at the time. He's a good friend of mine, so mm. he, he agreed to be a, a recurring character named Barrow Tumulus. Um, <laughs> and three of my friends who in the burlesque community agreed to be the uh, undead cheerleader sort of like cheesecake sidekicks. Because, mm. you know, I guess every horror show needs a little bit of cheesecake. And we were mm. going to uh, use these like this very elaborate setup and all these characters to film essentially just like five to seven minute introductions, Robert Osborne style to well-known horror movies. And then you would watch the horror and movie then, on and, your own. And the idea and then, would yeah. be you watch our video and then you find the horror movie. It's still a own. fun idea. I think. But, yeah, it's a fun idea. And, yeah. and maybe there'd be an outro afterwards. Yeah. Uh, that part hadn't been cemented yet. Yeah. Uh, Nerdist hated the idea. <laughs> I put so much it's effort all, into this here's, thing. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's uh, the thing. 
That's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort, but it, it's a it's, lot of effort. But I think it would get a lot of viewers, I and, agree. and they had a filming space. I can appreciate you, why they said no. I wanted to film it on, on like VHS or Beta <laughs> if we could get away with it, but yeah, I'm sure it, we, it would have to be. Yeah, it would never have worked. No, we need. We would have that on digital. It would have been shot we would, on digital. We would put like some sort of crappy filter on it. Yeah. That would have been the end of it. <laughs> but <laughs> they had a filming space, and they had they said, and we could build as crappy a set as we wanted. It didn't yeah. have to look sophisticated. In fact, the cheaper it looked, the better basically we just needed uh, uh, like 99 cent store cobwebs more or less That's the majority yeah, and, and of what like, we would have needed like crumple up some black construction paper and it looks like a cave you're good yeah you just set it up on the walls and like have a, a prop coffin a rubber skeleton a fake crow you get at oz you know just the, mm. the make it look like a local horror host show it, i was so enamored of this idea and i really really pushed really hard and eventually they just said no and it's dead now <laughs> And it's dead now, which is why we're sharing it with you. This is not going to be revived anymore. (laughs) No, we're not doing this. (laughs) Don't don't write in. Don't start a petition. We're not doing it. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Think of the fiendish Dr. Zoltan's ghastly crypt of unspeakable horror. I feel like we owe all of our listeners an apology. We've completely lost the narrative thread of this fireplace. Oh, my gosh. Well, (laughs) as you can see, the the logs are burning down. The one one on the left is is really charred. Now, you have a gas fireplace in your apartment. Did you have like a real wood burning fireplace ever growing up? Uh, No, we Uh, didn't. We actually, well, technically yes, but no. We, uh, I grew up in Pasadena, mm-hmm. and we did have a fireplace, and we could have used it, but shortly after we moved into that house, there was the Whittier earthquake, which Ooh. only well, had, was this the the one in ninety four? No, no, it was like late eighties. Oh, okay, late eighties. Oh, it was I 80, eighty-seven. I, I want to say eighty-seven, and. Um, as a result, uh, the only structural damage that we had from any major earthquake, and that includes like the big ones like Northridge, etc., uh, was to our chimney, and oh. basically it just crumbled. At yeah, the top. yeah. Um, to, and a lot, it, lot of chimneys were destroyed in the, in the various earthquakes. Yeah, they're 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 hanging out there. They're kind of loose. They're just bricks, um, and yeah, it just fell over. You know, luckily no one was injured, um, and um, yeah, wasn't safe. We had to seal it off, and the Aww. the chimney was simply cosmetic from there on out, which was fine. Mm. Um, kind of lame around the holidays when you would like to have a fireplace, yeah. but like, yeah, it's it's fine. Like mm. they have that in Southern California, <laughs> uh, but no, I never. I, I've only like even like really experienced like a proper crackling fireplace mm. uh, a few times. Um, like, you know, when, uh, Michelle and I would like go on vacation to like a cabin or something like uh, that. Like it yeah. was, that was really, really nice. It took me forever to figure out how to light that sucker. Um, <laughs> turns out you don't just like throw a match in. Uh, no, no, there's a process. You should just throw a match in. It's fire. <laughs> that's the way it works. Just yeah, it's fire and it's wood. Boom. Like that should, should work with like that way with people and house pets as well. <laughs> Get away from there. Boom. Oh God. My cat. <laughs> That's not wood. Wood, <laughs> so, should, wood should be fire. Wood burning, wood burning cats. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we did have a fireplace uh, growing up, and uh, if you just use a Duraflame log, it's really you just go to the store get a Duraflame log. You, you mm. light the wrapper, and it's that simple, mm. and it burns for a couple hours. And they're flat on top, so you can put a marshmallow on top. And I'm not sure if you've ever held a marshmallow in a fireplace until it's not edible anymore. Like you, you've roasted marshmallows. Why would I? Yeah? Why would I do that? Well, yeah, I've roasted marshmallows. Well, but like I mean, on like a stove mostly, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> we didn't go camping or anything when I was a kid. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. That's what indoors is for. <laughs> we don't need to go camping. We have a house. <laughs> I went camping a bunch. As That's a kid. the fantasy. I was, I was, is you a, don't. As a Boy Scout, we went camping a lot. I, I enjoy you know, camping. You know, you know what? You know what people who live that in the woods fantasized about houses. <laughs> We're oh. living their dream. Who are we? Oh, you're who so, are we? Oh, you wimp! You must destroy, go camping. Camping destroy is their fantasy. <laughs> I'm not an outdoorsy type. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not, but I wish I was. So, oh, <laughs> so I wear the hiking shoes. That's as far as I can go. <laughs> but uh, we did have a fireplace, and we did go camping. Uh, you could the Duraflame logs were flat on the top, and you could rest a marshmallow on top. And you know when you roast a marshmallow, how it kind of like puffs up and gets a little crispy on the outside? Sure. But it gets really soft on the inside, and that's when you smush it in your s'more and you eat it. It's great. It's one way to go. It's, it's the you know one of the great pleasures of life. <laughs> uh, if you just leave a marshmallow in the fireplace, it continues to puff up. And it can grow to like maybe four or five times its original size into this like gigantic ashen mass. Do you recommend this? Is it dangerous? Uh, I mean, it, like- just as an experiment. It's fun. Okay something you can do just because you're bored and you're 10 years old and you're lighting things on fire okay if you're 10 years old don't start lighting things on fire this is a special message from canceled too soon (laughs) 
don't do what Whitney does. <laughs> don't do what I did. <laughs> goofus and Gallant, and we're both goofus. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> miracle I survived. But, uh, yeah, le- left a marshmallow on top of the Duraflame log, and what? And went, after it's done, after the fire burns out, we reached in to get this gigantic ashen mass, and it's, it's like lava rock now. It's, like, really lightweight, so and it nearly falls apart, but it's still substantial enough to pick up. Yeah, you didn't need it, did you? <laughs> Of course not. It's well, ash. I don't trust well, you. I don't want to you eat carbon. Goodness sake! <laughs> I, you were. You just said you were ten and just prone to set things on fire. I'm not sure how well your decision making process was working at the time. <laughs> I set things on fire, but I wasn't stupid. <laughs> I wasn't going to eat burnt marshmallow. What kind of madman do you think say I am? Eat it. I said taste it. Taste it. Uh, no, we did not taste the ash marshmallow. <laughs> Taste the Ash Marshmallow sounds uh, like the name of something we should have done. Uh, uh, Angie and I, uh, my wife and I, went camping at a, a place that had sort of their... Uh, camping has turned into something called glamping. Glam camping. It's portmanteau. It's, and, it, it's uh, just like throw glitter everywhere? Or? Uh, well, it's it's just like luxury camping. It's like Oh, so it's like true Beverly Hills. It, it's like roughing it in the least rough way possible. Mm. So we went to a cabin, and the, the roughest thing was that the bathroom was in another building. But it was more or less like a hotel room. Got it. But it was really nice because there there weren't lights at night, and you know we could see out. And it was in a really remote location. You could see all the stars. And uh, one of the perks of this uh, really fantastic campground was in our in your cabins, you got a free Duraflame log every day. Ooh. So you could have a fireplace, like a fire in your cabin every night. Nicely done. So we did that. That was really great. That was great. You just go, go up to the, the concierge and they fork over a Duraflame log. They have a big pile behind the desk. What were, your, what were your Christmases like as a kid? Like, What were your Christmas traditions, whether or not you do them now? Uh, well, my grandma was sort of like the the queen of Christmas in our house. She so was Mariah we, Carey. Uh, she wasn't Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey's the queen of Christmas. Uh, I Did dispute, she inherited from your grandmother. I dispute your facts. <laughs> my grandmother had. You, a, so you admit their well, facts. She uh, she <laughs> <laughs> she uh, uh, just we had our own uh, Christmas with the family, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we had a great way of exchanging gifts. We only ever opened them one at a time mm-hmm. and whoever opened a gift got to select the next gift. Mm. So everybody got to open them and everybody got to pick and it was sort of a good variety. And it's cute. Every, one person opened a gift. We all looked, we all went, Ooh, and on. And then we moved on to the next gift. Uh, I've, I've been, I, I spent a Christmas in a, a household that everybody just opened all their gifts all at once. Mm. It was like just the, this big frenzy and everything was ripping and noise. And yeah. that, that seemed so antithetical to we, the, the Christmases I had growing up. It wasn't necessarily an order, but you, I think you got to do one at a time. Everyone can just sort of appreciate yeah, yeah and then you move on to the next person you try to make sure it stays but then buried. yeah we had our family christmas and then later in the day we'd go over and the extended family would all meet at my grandma's house we were all pretty much local mm. so we, we would go to my grandmother's house and we'd have extended family christmas that's nice so we kind of had two christmases yeah um we had a lot of traditions uh, and the Bibiani family um, that would extend like throughout the whole month. And they would be as simple and straightforward as every year we would go to the Glendale Galleria, which was the biggest mall in the area. Okay. <laughs> just far enough that we didn't usually go there. But mm-hmm. and we would go because it was insanely busy. Yeah. Like that yeah. was part of the appeal was to be part of that manic, um, you know, screwball comedy charge. <laughs> um <laughs> Love that we're watching this calming fireplace, and your Christmas tradition was frenzy. Oh, there was a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, and then um, the big thing with Christmas for us was actually the food. We would have the same food hmm. every year um, on Christmas Eve. We would have chiapino, uh, which is like an Italian gumbo, okay. like a lot of okra and shrimp, uh, and it was delicious. It was very hearty. Um, and then on Christmas morning, we would have bangers and mash. Uh, and then on Christmas evening, we would have prime rib and Yorkshire pudding, mm. uh, which is still the best meal. <laughs> like, you want to make me happy, Yorkshire pudding and prime rib is, and gravy is the way to go. Um, so that was super great. We would uh, cut down our own tree. That was always a lot of fun. Yeah, you got to cut down your own tree. We cut down our own tree. Where like, did you get was, them? Were there, there lots you could cut down lots, your own trees? Yeah, okay. there were lots in Southern California where they would like grow them. Like, mm. like they would have like two or three lots like in a row, like next to each other, and like every other year they would just switch lots. Okay. So like uh, there was always time for the trees to grow. Nice. Um, but yeah, we would cut down a tree, and okay. uh, that was uh, uh, great. I Did, found out gradually over time that I'm mildly allergic to pine. Uh, <laughs> well, we they're, get little they're, hives they're, as we. They're fir trees. Christmas trees are fir trees, not pine trees. Pine trees are the needle trees. 
uh, conifers are the needle trees, and, right? pi- and pine is one of them. Yeah. But the Christmas tree is a fir tree, not a pine tree. You're a fir tree. Um, <laughs> I wish I was a fir tree. No, nah, I found I'd out, be so beautiful uh, this time of year. I guess I'm mildly allergic to fir trees. Okay. But, so I found out I would have to sort of avoid them mm. as much as I could. Um, we also had a tradition where the cats were not allowed in the dining room. Where the tree was. It's not because it's more have, a rule than a tradition. Well, I, I'm getting I'm <laughs> know, getting to the tradition part. The rule is the cats aren't allowed in the dining room living room mm. because we had like old rugs that my dad had inherited, so the cats uh, aren't cats allowed in there. Allowed to puke on the rugs. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. Um, but in order to make sure the cats didn't get in there, we always put uh, bells on the lowest branches of the tree. <laughs> so if we heard bells, we knew the cats were in there. Get them, knock them, get them away. That's pretty serious. Um, so that's that's a tradition we continue to this day. And Sergio is not super interested in our Christmas tree, which I'm very very glad about because well, he is. Sergio's a little long in the tooth. He's not so impish any longer. Oh no, he's, he's much more mellow. Oh no, he's impish. Oh, is he? He's a clever son of a bitch. Cl- Sergio, <laughs> Sergio, as like we keep doing. So Sergio was getting into our trash cans mm. because there's delicious food in them. Apparently, garbage is great. So we got. We spend a little extra money, and mm-hmm. we got new garbage cans with locking mechanisms that were specifically designed to make sure cats don't get in them. <laughs> he has figured out how to unlock them. He of has figured he out has. how to uh, uh, pluck them up with his paw, and when that doesn't work, he was able to grab the garbage bag mm-hmm. and slide it through the crack between the lid of the garbage can and the garbage can proper. Much in the same way like you'd use a credit card to pry open a lock. <laughs> he has figured this out. He also, is, he's, he's grown thumbs he and, does a, have, and a forebrain. Okay, hang on. He, he does have thumbs, actually. Uh, he has these weird little thumb paws. It's really strange. <laughs> and he just has, He's not polydactylic like some cats, not though. Quite. Just, no, no, no. Yeah. I've, I've seen polydactylic cats. No, but he has like his thumb is as opposable as a cat thumb gets. And uh, he also <laughs> has this weird way of... Um, Sergio, more than anything else, loves to eat potato chips. I don't know why. So we learned this the hard way when we left an open bag of potato chips uh-huh. and we came back five minutes later and it was strewn everywhere and he was having a delightful time. Um, and since then, mm. he has evolved. <laughs> he, has, <laughs> he has discovered, like, he, he doesn't even need to smell them. He just needs to, he knows, he knows that this type of bag has potato chips in it. Mm. And then we have, like, come out in the middle of the night and we have to keep them in, like, if we ever have potato chips, which we try not to do anymore, we have to keep them in cupboards because if we leave them out on, like, the kitchen counter... We will come back like out in the morning, and there will be like, it's like he like like a cartoon character just whipped out one claw, sliced it <laughs> cleanly in the middle, one deft move like a scalpel, and then just ate the chips, like a moron because they're bad for you, Serge. You're not supposed to eat those. Well, they're bad for us too. We're not, but we're no, not, but they're really bad for Serge. We're not supposed to eat potato chips either, but he's, we love them. He's em. got specific dietary restrictions. He's really not supposed to eat that. It's it's. We had to keep an eye on him constantly. Oh, he also drinks black coffee, which he's not supposed to do. Well, we had a cat that drank black coffee. Yeah. I think everybody has a cat that eats some strange well, thing. Cats they're, just they're, eat weird stuff in general. But like, they, they don't have a palate as we know it. My, really, I guess my larger point is he's industrious and clever. <laughs> Okay. And so, that, yes, that he's not tackling the tree is kind of unusual. Well, there's no food at the top of it. There's so no that's... food at the top. Plus, you have an artificial tree. I think that's part of it. Yeah, we we, we finally caved because we realized we were spending all this money every year on like a real tree. Mm-hmm. And it's listen, this is, real trees are great. I'm not knocking a real tree. <laughs> but uh, let me tell you something. After watching a lot of Hallmark movies, Balsam Hill is really good. <laughs> like the Balsam Hill is the, is the company that makes all of the fake trees for Hallmark. And you can mm-hmm. tell when Balsam Hill like shelled out for their fake tree because there's always like a montage of people decorating it like it's a real thing um and yeah they make they make pretty good fake trees Mm -hmm. not gonna lie um so we 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 sprung for that and that's Mm -hmm. but now it's officially saving us money yeah by this after like two years you know you're just you're officially just saving money fits in your closet pretty good it's true and if you want to get a good christmas tree like a good like a, a good douglas fir it's expensive it's it's really bloody expensive especially if you want to get like a full-size one like yeah. they'll like go from like you know, we, you know, uh, to the roof yeah we, we have a toddler at home so yeah. we're not putting the tree on the floor yet we're no. keeping it up on the dinner table so because he he just sees a bunch of toys and he wants to yank them down and play with all the, the or 
ornaments, some of which are old and breakable. Yeah. So we're keeping it up on the tree for the time, the tree up on a table for the time being. But yeah, even the short tree we get that just reaches from the table to the ceiling is pretty pricey. So yeah. when the time comes to get a floor tree, we're going to have to start shelling out for decent sized trees. I'm talking about Balsam Hill. Well, what what do we need to do is become really chummy with, well, I'm, we're already friends with him, but uh, like, see if we can get an in with Dave White, mm. who, some, who knows where all the best Christmas tree lights lots are. Dave White of the Linoleum Knife yeah, podcast, Dave, Dave which White you should Alonso, also be listening to. And, Dave um, White and Alonso Giralde are like, the Alonso especially is like the, the biggest Christmas fanatic you could hope to meet. And it's not too late to order a copy of Alonso's book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. It's never too late. It's I think never it's, too late. I think it's a year-round tradition. Yeah, if there's that. anyone like you're not seeing to give them your Christmas present mm. until like a couple days after Christmas, it'll arrive in time. Just go get that sucker off of Amazon. Or or, great. or contact Alonso. I'm sure he can hook you up. And in fact, if you just want more Christmas content, Alonso Duralde did a countdown to Christmas at uh, the What the Flick station yeah. on the Young Turks Network. I did a couple of episodes. Each one's about what, 10 minutes long, highlighting mm-hmm. either a Christmas classic or a movie that Alonso thinks should become a Christmas classic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I reviewed with him, what did I review? Prancer. <laughs> um, which I actually wasn't terribly familiar with until I re- just watched it now, and it holds up real great. I, I remember um, when it was released. I still have never seen it. I think a lot of people assumed it was going to be like really manic-y family bullshit Santa Claus, like mm-hmm. the Santa Claus kind of thing. Because it's about a little girl who like finds Prancer, the reindeer. the rain- One of Santa's um, reindeer. But it's more a, about taking care of this animal. It's, it's actually like there's a lot of plausible deniability about whether he's the it's the real prancer, and mm-hmm. it's actually a lot about a young girl struggling with the idea of faith. Mm. It's really well made. Okay. Um, so we reviewed that, and we reviewed Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is one of my favorite slasher movies. Christmas Evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought me in for a lot of the horror stuff. We did Rare Exports, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies nowadays. <laughs> and um, we did a movie that another one I had never seen. Until mm. Alonzo recommended it, uh, Paul Feig's Unaccompanied Minors. I, I've heard good things about that, one, mostly from Alonzo. Yeah, Alonzo was a really, really big fan of it. It's uh, and it's cute. Um, and certainly, if you if you think you've seen every Christmas movie and you still have time left, you might want to check it out. I think it's I think it's on streaming services. Um, but it's about um, kids traveling over the holidays. You know, going to visit one of their divorced parents from another town mm-hmm. um, and their unaccompanied minors at an airport, which means they have to you know, be watched over carefully by the staff. But then there's a huge blizzard. Everyone gets snowed in and they go a little mad and go kind of home alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty good. I I, <laughs> I, I I think I might have liked it more when I was a kid, but it's got this kind of like kids rule, adults drool kind of. <laughs> I love those types of movies. I, really. I, I have I have a minimal tolerance for them if they cross a line. Like um, yeah, yeah. the one um, Alonzo brought up when we were having the conversation on the YouTube show was I think it was House Arrest with Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Pollak and oh, Jennifer yeah, Love yeah. Hewitt. I've seen that one. Yeah, and it's completely irresponsible. Yeah, it's about it, a bunch of teenage kids who like kidnap their parents and force them to like to reconcile because yeah. they're divorcing. You're, you yeah. can't come out of the basement until you've reconciled, and it's been days. <laughs> it's just like. like they're they're like deconstructing their own clothes to like break out of the basement and yeah it's it's, just, it's an idea that sounds better on paper than in practice because it's actually really horrifying in yeah, practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Anna Company of Miners, but Alonzo likes it, and I know a lot of other people do too. So mm-hmm. that's worth checking out as well. What are the what are, what sort of um here here's here's something weird maybe about my household we never had like a movie or a special that we made it a point to watch every christmas um things would sort of drift into our household i didn't watch charlie brown a whole lot Mm. i watched the charlie brown halloween special more often than i watched the the christmas special we watched rudolph and the grinch every year but that's because they were on yeah yeah like Um, so i've seen those a lot but it, it was never something that i like sort of set my VCR to tape mm. or made it a point to carve out time for. And everyone says, well, and here's a movie I watch every year. Sometimes it's not even a Christmas film. It's just like... Like I said, Christmas like, is a time for tradition. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to watch Back to the Future. That's my Christmas film. You know, whatever it is. Um, I didn't have one of those either. Mm. I didn't have like a specific film that I felt was really evocative of the Christmas season. There was so much more going on just in my life that mm. I was doing, you know, Christmas carols and decorating and all the rest that, we, uh, that I didn't 
ever carve out time for it. And again, as, as I've said before, I wasn't really a movie obsessive until later in my life. I wasn't mm-hmm. a little kid that was obsessed with movies. I watched movies. Yeah. There were some, some that I was obsessed with, but there weren't, I wasn't like sort of voraciously consuming a lot until uh, later on. I was voraciously consuming mm-hmm. the, um, I mean, look, we watched It's a Wonderful Life. We watched Miracle on 34th Street, but the movie that it didn't feel like Christmas until we watched it. Mm. And that's still true to this day, although I actually haven't watched it yet this this Christmas. Hopefully, I'll have time. Um, is the original Christmas in Connecticut? Okay, with Barbara Stanwyck. Um, it's kind. Of, it's a movie everyone's heard of. I don't think it's watched as often as it used to be, but it's really great. It's um, Barbara Stanwyck plays basic, basically in like the nineteen forties a Martha Stewart type. She writes mm-hmm. articles for a newspaper, or, or sorry, for a fancy magazine, and she's revered as the greatest cook. And the greatest homemaker in the world, even though she's a single woman in like a studio apartment and she's making it all up. Mm. Um, and then uh, her publisher, Alexander Yardley, played by Sidney Greenstreet, <laughs> um, who's just this wonderfully insufferable old man. Um, he has a great idea for a publicity stunt where there's this war hero who was um, stranded at sea for, for weeks and nearly starved to death. And he just wants a good home meal. And uh, he forces her to, you know, take care of him and give him like a proper Christmas at her Connecticut estate, which she does not have. So she has to make it up on the fly. She has to make it up. She knows a guy who does have a house in in Connecticut and he's in love with her and she's not in love with him. And she agrees to marry him in exchange for helping her not destroy her career. And of course, the second the the handsome hero shows up, she falls in love with him instead. But now everyone thinks she's married with Mm. a baby, which he doesn't have. Um, Anyway, it's it's. It's kind of great because it's very Christmassy and very Yuletide and lots of beautiful trees and carols mm. and all that kind of sleigh rides. Um, it's what, also kind of... What, what year was it? it was oh, 44 or something? 43, I want to say. Um, it's it's totally great. Um, it, what's also kind of great about it is that the protagonists are kind of jerks. Like, she's <laughs> she's, she's she's a fraud. Mm. Um, 45 it came out. Yeah, she, she's up. a fraud. Mm. The handsome hero is actually... A total manipulator as well like he's um he he like asks a nurse to marry him so that she will feed him better food in the hospital and then uh. and then he falls in love with barbara stanwick and he doesn't stop flirting with her even though he knows she's married or he thinks she's married so like it's actually like kind of skirting the production code quite a lot there's this weird recurring gag and if oh, anyone well, no connor's in the movie I love oh she's Leonardo great connor. okay yeah. well, no connor's the best mm. um <laughs> She's uh, she gets in a fight with um oh who's the guy who plays uh Uncle Felix? Um is it um uh, uh, the actor's name is S. Z. Sackall. Yeah, he was he was in everything. He was mm. everyone's favorite uncle for a long time. Uh, he plays the guy who actually is the cook and gives her all the recipes. Yeah, uh, and uh, he has one of my favorite expressions in all of movies. Everything is hunky dunky <laughs> instead of hunky dory. It's hunky dunky. Um, and uh, they get in a fight over. He shows up in Una O'Connor's uh, kitchen mm. at the estate in Connecticut, and. She is making Irish stew, and he says, "This is the worst goulash I've ever seen. It's not goulash; it's Irish stew." And then he just throws an entire bottle of paprika in it. Now it is goulash. <laughs> um, anyway, I love it. It's right. it's not the most popular one anymore, but mm. uh, there's but one of the things we almost reviewed um, in the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. Uh, and I couldn't find well, my copy. The, the 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 plan B that failed. Yeah, we were going to review the Marlo Thomas remake of It's a Wonderful Life called It Happened One Christmas, which is actually very interesting uh, historically. But the DVD I was able to track down was defective. Mm. Um, so that stinks. But um, my backup was we were going to watch the remake of Christmas in Connecticut, which was a TV movie in the 1990s starring um, Diane Cannon and Chris Christopherson and Tony Curtis. Directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who does not appear in it. No, he does not. Arnold Schwarzenegger only directed one feature film, and it was a TV remake of Christmas in Connecticut. I think I guess, I guess he was trying to expand his horizons. I guess he likes yeah. the original. I don't know. I don't know what what's up with it. It's it's such a he's done off some, the wall choice. He's done some other TV episodes, notably like, uh, a Tales really, from the really fantastic episode of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, he's but, yeah. he's fine, but it's just like that's. That's the film. That was what you wanted. All right. Well, odd. And, um, and I, it's a strange film. It's not terrible. It's just I've, a lame TV remake. But I, I've seen it. I wish I could had time to to revisit it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of details I don't remember. But uh, I recall it being 
like just as bland as any other TV movie. Like yeah. Schwarzenegger did not sort of leave a stamp as a director. No, it's just on any, that one. No, like any TV movie would yeah. have been Christmas. Like anyone could have directed that movie, which it basically means he didn't fuck it up. But oh, yeah. at the same time, he didn't like prove that he had a, he was a new talent who was going to make awesome films. I would love to think that you know he at least had maybe some hand in the casting. Like he was. He just was a Chris Christopherson fan and wanted Chris Christopherson to be in it. Who knows? Well, I like that. I like that the remake is actually about older people. It's a romance between mm-hmm. Diane Cannon and Chris Christopherson, with yeah. Tony Curtis as the spoiler. Like that's interesting because even the original was about younger people. Like this is a story about people who were at least in their forties or fifties at the time. Mm. Um, that's pretty novel, even to this day. There's not a lot of those, <laughs> you know. Like you look at the Hallmark Channel, not a lot of forty and fifty year old romances in the Hallmark Channel. Most of them are people in their thirties or twenties. Well, it's people finding their spouse for the first time, and yeah. you know, people but in people, their people people fifties. People still do that. People still do that. People find spouses in yeah. their 50s. Or fuck it's it, they find their second common. or third. Who cares? Yes. <laughs> like, it's fine. There's a lot of people in Hallmark movies who are, like, you know, going into their second marriage because their first husband or wife died of car crash canceritis. Mm. You know, just <laughs> very, some, something very, vague a happened very, once. Very common ailment in the world of Hallmark. Yeah, someone, they, they didn't die, they passed. <laughs> or they they expired like a magazine subscription. There you go. You know what uh, someone pointed out once, and I never really thought of it before, was um, I, I've lost track how many times I've seen in a movie someone say, he didn't make it. And I'm like, and someone pointed out, like, no one has ever said that in real life. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. Like, maybe in war, if you uh, had yeah, to I was run about across to say a, a trench. Sol- a soldier might but, say But, like, that. this is not the sort of thing you do when, like, aliens have attacked your office building. He didn't make it. Well, is he still there? Well, no, what, he, he died. Why didn't you say that? Why were you weird and vague? Would, would, would you expect him not to? This is an extraordinary circumstance here. I don't know. Like, just be clear. It's, I guess is my point. <laughs> he didn't make it. He didn't make it. So that's what I appreciated about the old Star Trek. It, well, they, no, they didn't sugarcoat it. Just He's dead. Yeah. He's dead. He died. Jim. Yeah, the creature sucked the salt out of his body. He's Jim. dead, Jim. Jim. <laughs> he was worse than dead. <laughs> How's the fire going? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on in the fire? Okay. Well, uh, dying down a little bit. It's certainly, certainly less wood ha- than ha- before. Hamlet has confronted Gertrude after murdering Polonius behind the curtain. <laughs> Fort and Brass is advancing on the Danish kingdom, and everything's about to fall apart. Uh, we uh, this, is, this is a good hearty fire. It's actually it's actually nice, and actually the sound is actually quite good. I put this one on because I actually put this on once just to like fall asleep to it. Okay, I like this one because it's not like it's not a lot of music in the background or anything like that. It's just a crackling fireplace. Yeah, I'm not like throwing a full endorsement behind this or anything like that. But I watched <laughs> this one and it was kind of nice. So, I, <laughs> so that's the, why I picked it's them the one all. you were familiar. Well, with. there's a bunch of them on Netflix, and this is one I picked. This one, one because it's a manageable amount of time, mm. uh, and two because it was it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. a perfectly good video fireplace. Yeah. Imagine us trying to BS for like four hours. Oh my God. We, we, that was your original thought. Was that I'm like, could we do that? No, we're not doing. That. Well, my, my original thought was to, if we started to run out of uh, run out of material, was just to read the whole of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, yeah, like Andy Kaufman reading The Great Gatsby, yeah, yeah. which was uh, which we could have done. I mean, Christmas Carol's short; you can read it in like two and a half I f- hours. I finally wa- we finally watched uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas today. Oh, you finally got to what it? What a load of tripe! I that know movie it's is. it's like a Holy it, shit. it's it's like a ladle of syrup being poured on your face. It's amazing how little they knew about Charles Dickens. Like it's just like they get everything wrong. It, it, it's not it's not quite as bad as as The Greatest Showman. But that, that's uh, the thing. I couldn't I, when we we saw The Greatest Showman and we'll review it on our other podcast, critically acclaimed. But mm-hmm. like. It's I, I called it in my review the hug washiest load of hogwash that ever washed a hog. <laughs> like it's the most this hero worshipy histor- historically completely inaccurate mm. uh, to the point of being genuinely offensive. But it's also light and and mm. surfacey and clearly not trying to be too serious. They're both pretty campy. Mm. Greatest Showman is like legendary camp. Greatest Showman is pretty yeah, great. Yeah, well, I mean, they're 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 deliberately overselling the, the Greatest Showman. If you know anything about the writing process, the man who invented Christmas will make you want to punch a screen. <laughs> like, make you want to. If you're seeing in a theater, you're going to want to punch the screen mm. of the theater. You're going to want to punch your TV at home. It's just so gloriously ignorant about the artistic process. It's incredible. 
Well, and and while it does get certain details of Dickens' life correct, it sure. knows nothing about Dickens the man, like his his character, his relationship with other people. Well, and, so, it, and it knows nothing about like how publishing worked back then, like in like how like you know, oh, your last books didn't sell. Well, that's true. It's a good thing we serialized them and made money that way, which yeah. is how this actually worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they they just. I mean, I get you're going to gloss over some things, but they just get it willfully wrong a lot. There, there's lines of dialogue in that movie. How? Oh, I, I really enjoyed your last book oh you mean the one that's still being published and it's probably also still being written right now the one that's not done yet mm-hmm. martin shuzzlewit that's still being like published in trades and stuff oh and there's this bit where someone's like oh yes well martin shuzzlewit you know made me cry i really like that oh thank you very much what's your name copperfield yeah. interesting and you just want to slap it one of the conceits of the movie is that dickens collects names in a little book i don't think dickens actually did this i know people who do that though yeah. they'll make like little notes of things of like things they notice yeah. like fun and like names is listen one of the things that dickens was great at was names was names yeah um but there's this weird yeah. bit but it's, there's a difference between case in point martin chuzzlewit there you go there's a difference between coming up with a fabulously, wonderfully false name like Ebenezer Scrooge, uh-huh. which tells you everything you need to know about a character, but you can't ever imagine a baby being named that. Ebene- we shall call him Ebenezer. <laughs> it's a terrible mm. name. Um, but this, there's a weird bit where like he's in a restaurant and his waiter is named Marley and he whips out a notepad. Yeah. I have to write that down. I'm like, you've never heard of Marley. Marley, yeah, Marley it's is never come up. That's so <laughs> noteworthy. It's so fascinating. You have to jot that sucker down. Yeah, if his name was like Joseph Bagstock, you know, the actual yeah. Dickens like, name. Ooh, like that's something you do. That's something I like to do whenever I uh, watch a movie. I just sit through the credits and just pick out weird names. Yeah, because yeah. people have weird names. <laughs> it's great. Josiah Bounderby. Ooh, I'm looking just through a list of like Dickens characters <laughs> here. <laughs> Um, Neville Hendless. Yeah, all all the names he came up with were meant to be sort of roundabout descriptors. You know, Mister Pecksniff. Mm. You know, the, the names sounded like what they were. Yeah. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge was you know d- deliberately poetic. Uh, what is your What is your favorite underrated adaptation mm. of A Christmas Carol? Oh, I really like the Muppet Christmas Carol. Is I'm not sure if that's though? underrated. I, I think I guess it's great. I think, I think everyone just appreciates really, it. Really yeah. celebrated at this point. Um, I recently wrote essays on the New Beverly blog about a double feature we had uh, just tonight, actually, uh, hmm. as we record this, of Scrooged and the Muppet Christmas Carol. Great and, double feature. Uh, and Scrooged, uh, I think, is a little more perfect than people, even though it's celebrated. It's a you know really well known cult. movie. It's a really well made movie. It's it's incredibly well made, and it was incredibly timely. It came out in the late '80s when you know yuppies were. S- strolling through the the earth like a mighty colossi <laughs> and uh to turn Ebenezer Scrooge into an 80s yuppie like a TV executive is kind of a brilliant move <laughs> and i feel like we can't do better than that now like if we were to update a christmas carol in the modern times with a modern day Ebenezer Scrooge it would still be the same type of character it would be a rich you know asshole yuppie type mm. and i think uh i think Scrooge really kind of Put put a button on a Christmas Carol in terms of like modern day adaptations. Yeah, fair enough. It's great. Um, Could there be like a Mark Zuckerberg type, like an internet magnet who would be oh, like an Ebenezer dude, Scrooge dude, type? Some, someone's working on a Trump version right now. You know it. Oh, I, a Donald Trump Christmas fact, Carol. In that fact, writes uh, itself. If, if my calculations are correct, a dead associate has appeared to Donald Trump. <laughs> Tonight, letting him know that he's go- soon going to be visited by three ghosts. If it's, if it's going to work, he's going to have to appear like on Fox News. <laughs> it's, um, it's Sean Hannity. My, my theory, died. my theory is that Donald Trump has been fighting off those ghosts every year for the last five decades. I'm the ghost of Christmas. Get out! Get out! Fake ghost. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of the the, the, the Donald Trump <laughs> themed Christmas Carol. Um, back back on point. I think my favorite underrated version is actually a musical called "The Stingiest Man in Town." Okay, uh, there was a live. I've, action, I've heard of this one. There's a live action version of it with with fucking Basil Rathbone as a singing Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> um, that one, I believe, I want to say, was a live production. 
I think I might have actually inspired the live TV event in Scrooged. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, my favorite version is actually the Rankin Bass adaptation with Walter Matthau. Nice. And, as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, but also, and this is kind of fun, uh, Robert Morse as the young Ebenezer Scrooge. Really? Yeah. And, the, and this, the music is fun, mm. and like, the story is impeccable regardless. <laughs> and like, it's, I'm a huge fan of all the Rankin Bass Christmas specials, even the real crap ones. Um, we watched uh, The Year Without a Santa Claus, which sucks. Oh, come on, Heat Miser. Okay, there's a couple of good songs. Yeah. But even, but even listen, I remember. That song about the, uh, you know, uh, how's the, how's the Heat Miser song? Go? I'm Mr. Heat Miser. I'm Mr. Sun. Yeah. Um, I'm Mr. Heat Blister. I'm Mr. 101. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You'd think, given how popular those songs are, uh-huh. that the Heat Miser and the Cold Miser would have something to do with anything, and they do not. They just they have, have good to, songs. They That's have fine. to fly by them. Like, oh no, J- Jack and Jingle have to like fly past the Heat Miser and the Cold Miser, and then they do, and then the movie continues. <laughs> it sucks, but there, there's a couple uh, it, of good it's bits. It's meant to be like a Wizard of Oz type, you know, trial on the way. I think it's what's the one that's like Batman Year One, but for Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town. Where it's actually like how Santa Claus acquired all of his various paraphernalia and why they served a function. I don't know, but that sounds terrible already. Uh, there one of those for uh, here comes I think it was here comes Peter Cottontail, where it was all about how like why we hard boil the eggs and why we color them to hide them from giants like eggs. Like it was really really funny. Um, but um, they did a bunch of Christmas specials. Not all of them were stop motion animated. Some of them were two D animated. One of them was Stingiest Man in Town. Another one I quite liked was Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yeah, it was Christmas Night Before Christmas, which uh, is the one... Um, this, is this a Christmas Carol again, or is this just a different Christmas uh, special? No, it's a different Christmas special. It has the same... Uh, uh, it it, it kind of ends with um, the the Christmas, you know, the, the how you know it. But it turns out the narrative mm-hmm. uh, is there's a town, I believe it's American, um, and uh, they... <laughs> uh, a mouse who lives in this town Not one of the humans, a mouse uh, mm. Sends a letter to Santa saying We don't believe in you anymore, thank you very much for your time Don't bother this year, signed all of us Ooh, All the mice <laughs> No, no, everyone in town So okay. Santa's gonna skip this town this year Because Santa's so- Santa holds a grudge And <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's all about teaching it's, this mouse. It's, it's, n- 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 nice to know that that Santa is a spiteful man. <laughs> so it's all about teaching this mouse the importance of Christmas. And this is, <laughs> um, and there's there's a couple of really really great songs. Give your heart a try is good, but even a miracle needs a hand is one of my favorite Christmas songs. Aww. Even a miracle needs a hand. It's so great. <laughs> it's just cheerful and fun. I love it. I love it. Oh, all those wonderful Christmas specials! Yeah, how's the fire uh, going? What's going on? It, it's it's starting to burn a little oh, little God, bit low. It's it's fading a little we're bit. We're running low, and you know we, when uh, the, when the fire stops, mm. we 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 die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. The fire burns as do we, <laughs> like a flame burning away the darkness. Life is but flesh on bone. Ingmar Bergman's canceled <laughs> too soon Christmas special. Like, convulsing above the ground. Um, <laughs> I remember when I saw The Nightmare Before Christmas for the first uh, time. I was in junior high, early high school, I think. Uh, I saw it with my dad, and he, he really liked it. He liked the music. I really loved I loved it immediately. Um, and uh, it started coming up around Christmas time, at, like Christmas parties and what have you. So I guess that was one I watched pretty reliably every Christmas for a couple of years there. It never became sort of my go-to. It's just a film I liked. I watched it any time of year. Yeah. Um, but a complaint my dad had about it is something that you can kind of level at it to this day. And it's that Santa Claus is kind of a dick in that movie. <laughs> is he? What he is. is. So well, like he's, we see him first in Christmas town. First of all, he's like designed by Tim Burton. So he's kind of ghoulish looking. Like he's got big round eyes and his beard well, is kind of dirty looking. One of my minor complaints with that movie is you can tell Tim Burton's way less interested in Christmas town. Yeah. Than how, like the, the town. designs are way more simple. Simplistic and lived in and exciting. It just, it's, I guess maybe it's a comment about the superficiality of Christmas, but I think it's honestly just, no, I think it's we just, had to spend more time on the Halloween stuff because yeah, we don't care yeah. as much about Christmas. Well, 
some less time is spent there, but you know, it takes place There's mostly a whole in musical town. number. Come on, a, a musical number as There's, opposed to all the others. The point is that the the graveyard, which we spend probably less time in, uh, gets gets more tender, loving care than Christmas Town, which is that's an important plot point. But yeah, they they the, the three trick or treaters kidnap Santa Claus and bring him back to Halloween Town. They put him in a sack and they give him to the boogeyman. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, and then we ha- we see. <laughs> we see Santa Claus bound about to be dropped into a pool of lava because it's that kind of movie. And at the very end, uh, you know, Jack leans down and says, I'm very sorry. I stole your holiday. And Santa, like, snatches his hat out of his hands. It's like, Bumpy Slayer. Yeah, it's like, Jack. If, if you're going to listen to somebody, listen to her. She's the only one who makes any sense in this insane asylum. Look at all these fucking skeletons around it's like and it like it, you know when, when the boogeyman dies he turns into this big pile of bugs and it's really terrifying and we see one final bug that's screaming oh no i'm getting away and, and that's like the prime and, bug that's it's, probably the one bug that actually like has the, the boogeyman the queen soul. bug queen bug the last living piece of the boogeyman and santa claus is the okay. one that stomps on I'm gonna, it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna defend <laughs> like santa claus is a violent asshole okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna th- I'm gonna throw a couple of things out, uh, out here in defense of santa claus and the night before christmas right. one He's had a very rough day. This is true. Okay, he's had a very rough day. He just got kidnapped and taken to Horrorville, so it's fine. It's it's, it's rough, and they ruined his holiday too. Like they almost like destroyed his entire reputation as well. And he's like, "Is there time to fix this?" Like, of course, jerk. I'm. Who do you think I am? Uh, the other thing uh, I will say, and I will remind you about Santa Claus, is that Santa Claus is the god of judgment. Well, yeah. <laughs> Santa Claus deemed the boogeyman naughty, <laughs> and he dispatched of him accordingly. Yeah, but, you know, growing up, Santa Claus, if you were naughty, Santa Claus brought you coal, which is still a useful item, actually. It's a great Lemony Snicket storybook that's all about a lump of coal at Christmas time trying to find a purpose. <laughs> it's, like, it's pretty oh, great. naughty children like, save no me. One, no, one, no one wants... Uh, no one's having a barbecue at Christmas time, so what's the point? Um, that's great. It's cute. But, uh, like, if you were naughty, though, Santa didn't come into your house and stomp on you. Well, Santa on Night Deadly Night, he did. Well, that wasn't Santa. Well, there's that's an a, argument to be made that, like, you know, like... That, the, that was a serial, a, a serial look, killer waiting to happen. Look, there, there's an argument to be made that we look at Christmas as a time of goodness and light, but mm. there's constant reminders that there's a mirror image of that, that there's mm. a dark... Shadow plane, <laughs> at which that mirror that Christmas is only a positive reflection of, mm-hmm. um, and I think Nightmare Before Christmas is a really good example of that because it's about really fucked up things. It's got kidnapping mm-hmm. and like brain robbing and shit. Like it's it's pretty yeah. great. You slipped twice this month. You slipped deadly nightshade into my tea. That's yeah. that's my really horrible William Hickey good. impersonation. That's not bad. <laughs> I've heard worse William Hickey and Pussy. You're under arrest. <laughs> I, I already said you dirty rat. Well, I said it better. A toast. A toast. I love toast. <laughs> William Hickey, who is never young. <laughs> no, he was not. <laughs> he, played the, he played the old drunk in The Producers, and that was in 1968. <laughs> 40 years later, he's playing characters of the same age. You remember in the MTV Movie Awards once where they trotted him out as like the head of the MTV Movie Academy? Oh, no, I didn't. I, I, I didn't have MTV, so I never saw it. The was, movie it was awards. a parody of that bit at the Oscars where they bring out the head of the Academy. It's like, mm. it's been a wonderful year for mm. cinema. Mm. Everything is great. And they're, and they're not eloquent at all. No, they just, just can't it's, speak in front of a crowd. It's really awkward. So they, probably, they trotted out William Hickey one year. It was like the 90s. Mm. And he's like, I'd like to tell you, it's been a great year for movies, but frankly, most of them sucked. <laughs> there were a few exceptions, of course. The Jackie Boys movie taught us how to laugh again. <laughs> was he playing William Hickey or no, was he playing he was, a part? He, was, okay. he, wasn't, he wasn't pretending to be anyone but William Hickey, but he was playing a character. Oh, okay. It was really fucking funny. <laughs> oh, oh God. God rest your soul, William Hickey. He was yeah, so great. He's so fucking cool. And it also brings us back around to uh, our. Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas in Connecticut because oh, yeah. William Hickey was the old man in right. uh, Tales from the Crypt that. episode he yeah, directed. There you go. That's fun. Mm. Uh, what was it called? It was the, the Switch or the Swap or something like that. It's like the title that. of the episode. Mm, I don't remember. We yeah. got an episode of that. I think oh. the, uh, the fire just oh, the, burned the, out. The fire so burned out, everybody. That means our souls are now flitting off into the heavens to become stars. <laughs> 
And with that, we bid you adieu. Um, everybody, thank you so much. Um, whether you're celebrating Christmas, uh, like we do, we celebrate Christmas, um, or, or not, uh, we hope you have a very nice holiday season. Mm-hmm. Hope uh, you have a couple of days off at least and get to spend it doing whatever makes you happy. Do you want to hype a charity? Do you have a favorite charity? <sighs> I mean... Jesus. I mean, <laughs> I, you could pick anything right now. I mean, the ACLU, I've been donating mm. to them. Planned Parenthood is, is a, in a very precarious position right now. Um, Planned Parenthood is a good one. I, I've I, there's, there's three I like to hype. One is the Heifer, uh, Heifer International, mm. which buys animals for impoverished villages uh, oh, around the world. So you can, nice. And you can sponsor like a goat or a beehive, you know, animals that are actually sort of useful yeah. to these communities that like give milk and actually are sustainable uh, – sources of food for uh, for impoverished mm. villages uh the trevor project which is a suicide hotline for uh closeted teens that's a great um, that's charity. a that's, that's a really, really that's a really yeah. great charity and um uh, the southern poverty law center which fights hate groups that's uh, great so th- those are those are three i want to donate this, this there's season one, there's one thing i've been trying to do more uh this season when as much mm. as i can because um you know times are hard for everybody mm. but um a lot of people uh, in it, listen. The economy is in a is in a rough spot right now. There mm. are some people who are doing very well, but there's a lot of people who are basically just one crisis away from bankruptcy. That's <laughs> kind of the way it is. Yeah, we're we're, yeah. we're living kind of paycheck to paycheck, and one bad thing can destroy us. And if you're anything like me, uh, the people you follow on social media, every once in a while you'll see them retweet someone who their terrible medical bills, and they've resorted to a GoFundMe. Because that's the only way that they can get their family out of a serious rut. Um, Provided, of course, for medical expenses. Provided, of course, that it was uh, someone you know or or trust, or someone you know or trust retweeted it Mm. or shared it on Facebook. Give a couple of dollars. That's that's something you can do. There's a definite face on it, Mm. Um, and we're, we're all trying to help each other out right now. Yeah, that's the that's the thing to do right now is to help each other. Out. It's nice if you can give to a major charity. A lot of them do really wonderful work. But you can just give to someone who just desperately needs to pay a bill right now. And mm-hmm. if you have a couple of dollars, hey, don't eat out for lunch today. And instead, <laughs> give that five ten dollars to someone who desperately needs it right now to pay for a medical bill or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice thing to do. You, you know somebody who could probably use it. And yeah. now, if you are yourself in dire straits, you don't don't make your own situation any worse. No, 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 no. no, we, no. Like, we all know what it's like to live at the edge of poverty. Unlike, but, yeah, if, if you do have those extra dollars, mm-hmm. this is the time of year. <laughs> like, and, and listen, like we, we have a Patreon account for that helps us mm-hmm. keep this podcast going, and we appreciate every single one of you who contributes to it. We also know that not everyone can afford to. And so if you can't, fair enough. <laughs> thank you for yeah. your support. Regardless, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for the reviews you've written. Um, thank you for just doing the best you could this year to be the best person you can be. That's well, all we can do. We love you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. We will see you again real soon with another proper episode of the show. Mm. If you're a Patreon subscriber, we've got a review of Killdozer coming for you, so <laughs> enjoy. Um, and um, It's a wrap. We'll see you next fireplace. <laughs>